Please stand for the reading of God's word. Genesis 50, 15 through 21. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. And now please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. His brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring about it, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear, I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them. And spoke kindly to them. This is the word of God. Good morning, family of God. Isn't it good to celebrate Jesus in this season? God is a God of peace. God is a God of peace. Last week, we began our Advent sermon series, which we named Old Stories for Today's Hope. Today's story, I hope, inspires you in a relevant way for hope, for peace. With that said, I think we need to prepare our hearts, y'all. God's got to say something to us today. I know that's true. Brother Enrique, I know you're back there. He's shaking his head. Yes, yes, sir. I know you're ready. God wants to say something to us today. With that said, let's pray. Would you bow your head with me? God, you are God of peace. And Father, I know that is going to be really hard for someone in here to believe today. That you are a God of peace. It is your will, it is your way to forgive and to reconcile. Father, help us through the story of Joseph to understand your perfect will. And Father, as we think on you today and the fact that you sent your son Jesus to bring peace to the world, Father, I pray that you would change our hearts and prepare our hearts for what is coming when Jesus first came. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, let's dig into the context or the surroundings of today's story. Genesis 50 begins with the death and burial of Jacob, the father of Joseph and his 11 brothers. In Genesis 49, Jacob blessed his sons before he died. Joseph organized a proper burial and mourning period for Jacob. 
Then he returned to Egypt to continue his official duties as second in command. The end of Genesis 50 fast forwards to the death and burial of Joseph. But in between the deaths of Jacob and Joseph, our text records one final story from Joseph's life. Verse 15 says, when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. You see, the backstory to this scene in Genesis 37 is horrible, to say the least. Young Joseph was favored by his father because he was, a son, he was the son of his old age. And Jacob expressed this favoritism by giving Joseph a beautiful and expensive multicolored coat. When I was thinking about it this week, I was thinking about a nice starter jacket back in the 90s, you know. <laughs> this caused his brothers to envy and hate him. Likewise, Joseph was called by God who revealed through dreams that Joseph would occupy a position of great authority in which his brothers would bow before him. This caused him to hate Joseph even more. When Jacob sent Joseph to check on his brothers one day, they threw him into an empty well, intending to kill him. But one brother talked them out of it, and instead they sold him into slavery. They told their father that a wild animal had killed him, continuing the problem of the lying and deception their father had. So Joseph was taken to Egypt as a slave, a foreigner in the wrong land, but God was with him. I'm going to say that one more time. But God was with him. Do you believe that, church? Is God with you? God is with you. God was with Joseph. While he was a slave, he did so well keeping his master's house that he was promoted to second in command. The theme with Joseph is that God was with him so, so much so that he did well wherever he went. But unjust things kept on following him. They kept getting in the way, it seemed, to humanize. And so while his master was away, his master's wife started plotting Mmm, Joseph looks kind of tasty. He looks like a snack out there. Mmm, you see him? The Bible says that he was beautiful in form and appearance. It's handsome. So Potiphar's wife came on to him day after day with temptation. Yo, come to me. Come into my bedroom. You know you want this? Are we taking the, uh, the, the story of the Bible and are we going to apply it to real life today? Does it sound like a real story you see in dramas and television series? This is a real story. Joseph, being a righteous man, resisted and believing that taking another man's woman was not just grievous to man, but more importantly, to God. Joseph feared God first. After being rejected over and over again, the master's wife said, I'm tired of this. I'm tired of this. When everyone was away, she got super thirsty. And she said, okay, 
Come on into my room real quick. Yep, today's the day. We, you're going to come to me. And when Joseph saw this, he did the wise thing, which many of us need to learn to do with temptation, which he turned and he said, I'm out. I'm getting up out of here. When he, when he left, Potiphar was, Potiphar's wife was so desperate that she grabbed onto his garments and pulled them things off. So he ran out the house. Mm. Is the scene in your head now? Mm. She was super salty after that. And so she falsely accused him of rape, and he was lied on again. Do you hear the injustice? Do you hear the oppression? The slave, the slave called a sinner falsely. Because of this, he was in prison. But God, in verse 21 of chapter 39, says, But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. God was with him again. While he was there in second in command again, he interpreted some dreams for some people who worked for the Pharaoh previously. The cupbearer's dream came true in the story. He was supposed to remember Joseph for the interpretation. But then he did the wrong thing. He forgot about the dude that helped him out of the struggle. But God was with Joseph. After two years in the same predicament, God gave Pharaoh a mysterious dream. God used Joseph to interpret him. A famine was coming. Destruction of the food supply was coming. And God gave Joseph the wisdom to figure out a solution. And Pharaoh appointed Joseph to oversee all the resources of Egypt. Second in command again. God was with Joseph. During this period, Joseph's brothers came to Egypt to find food, which ultimately led to a family reunion. When Jacob died, the entire family had lived with Joseph in eight in Egypt for 17 years. But now the brothers feared that Joseph would get even with them because their dad was gone. Verse 17 says again, say to Joseph, please forgive the transgressions of your brothers and their sins because they did evil to you. And now please forgive the transgression of the servant of God, of your father. Joseph wept when they spoke with him. Verse 18 says, also, his brother also came and fell down before him and said, behold, we are your servants. See, his brothers weren't stupid. They, know, they knew Joseph loved his dad. And you know how it goes in some families. The only reason that family is kept together is because of one person, one anchor, Right? Or you might hear mama or dad or grandma or grandpa was the only thing holding this family together. Joseph has special affection 
for his dad. Now, whether he believed his brothers or not, it doesn't say. But the apology, at least, did not sugarcoat what they did. It says, forgive the transgressions and their sin because they flat out did evil to him. Either way, you see the compassion of Joseph. Verse 17 says again, he wept. He wept. It was not the first time that Joseph wept either. Other times throughout the story, when they would mention his father, he would just bust out and weeping. But they misunderstood Joseph because the first time he saw them, he went and he wept as well. But he wasn't about to let them see that. So he went off into the room and cried. This was not without deep pain and trauma. The forgiveness that Joseph gave to his brothers was not without deep pain and struggle. They really did damage to Joseph and their father who was also crying over his son when he heard the news. Could you imagine parents in here? What happened to Joseph? He did what? He's what? My youngest son? For real? Why is this happening to me? He weeps and grieves. Joseph went through a lot of pain. No wonder why they were afraid. They had come and visited Joseph before, and they realized that Joseph had the authority to do some real harm to them now. The scales was flipped on the other side. Joseph had the power. Joseph could make their lives hell if he wanted to. So they made a false appeal based around their father's request to spare them, which was probably a lie again. There's no record that Jacob actually gave this command. Or as Pastor Tony Evans says, the boys probably invoked the name of their dead father to gain sympathy and to avert Joseph's wrath. Sympathy is what they wanted. A forgiving brother is what they got. It's a side note for you, my friends. If you are living in sin, causing hurt to someone, lying to someone you love, don't be like these dudes. Give them the chance to forgive you in truth. Give them the chance to forgive you in truth. Don't sugarcoat it. Come to them with the real. Let's continue. Verse 18 says, his brothers also came and fell down before him and said, behold, we are your servants. This act was a fulfillment of Joseph's dreams we just talked about, for which they hated him. 
The story didn't say his brothers ever acknowledged or understood the significance of this moment. Maybe they were too distraught or chained in guilt to be able to see God's sovereign plan and how that old dream from God actually came true. But I bet Joseph did. But for Joseph, who was much more mature and probably seasoned a lot better through the suffering he went through, only cared about one thing, not glory, not exaltation, but peace with his brothers, which was God's will. Peace with his brothers, which was God's plan. Do you believe that, church? Look around this room. Later in this sermon, I'm going to ask you to think about something. The peace you have with the brothers and sisters in this room can only be had through this kind of love. Now, what is Joseph trying to teach us today? As you remember, several lessons actually in that story, but I'm going to focus on two. Okay, I'm going to focus on two. So I was praying. I believe God wants us to get two things from this text. I'm simple. Sometimes I only need like just one thing to obey. Give me two. Man, that's kind of tough. I'm going to give you two today. All right. I'm going to give you two. The first lesson is that God alone is judge. Everybody say, God alone is judge. And he desires peace. That's what he wants, y'all. God alone is judge. And he desires peace. Verse 19 says, but Joseph said to them, do not fear. For am I in the place of God? See, Joseph knew that he was not on the throne. There could be no peace if Joseph was on the throne. It is true of us that when God is not exalted in our hearts, and when we are on the throne of our hearts, nothing but chaos ensues. Having a heart that is in tune with God alone is not really natural to us. We don't believe that God alone is judge. This is an understanding. This is an understanding of God that Joseph and other patriarchs helped to create and would be foreign to us if God did not use them to show us the way. Gordon J. Winham, an Old Testament scholar in the book Theological Interpretation of the scriptures, puts it like this. The patriarchs are depicted as being anxious to make peace and forgive past wrongs. This goodwill shines all the more brightly when, when set against the unrepentant callousness of Cain and Lamech. You know Cain, right? Killing his brother Lamech gloating about all the things he was doing to disrespect and dishonor God. You see, the experience of the patriarchs, on the other hand, suggests that forgiveness 
and reconciliation within the families and between nations is not only possible, but also desirable. It is an appeal to its readers, continuing the quote, to forgive and make up with their enemies, whether they be close relatives or people of other races, for it is by so doing that the fulfillment of the promise comes that through your offspring, all nations of the earth will be blessed, will be blessed. What does that mean? God desires reconciliation and forgiveness. It's stories like these that remind us that God is at work through salvation history, putting the world back together. If God didn't do his thing in the midst of chaos, we would all be in a lot of trouble. If God didn't do his thing in the midst of chaos through his people, the little true peace we see in the world would not exist. You don't even have to leave the book of Genesis to see that. Joseph models and demonstrates what it looks like when God gets a hold of a person. He gives true peace. You see, Joseph didn't find some secret sauce because he discovered the power of forgiveness in itself. The power to overcome and be the kind of man here in this text was not with the, within him to do. Joseph met with God over and over again, and God showed him his ways. Forgiveness is a God thing. And now Joseph's story is being used to ask you forever, will you forgive? Will you be this kind of person? While the world wanted him to be angry and bitter, Joseph went to the Lord with his troubles and developed a trust in God that gave peace to his weary heart. Now, God is going to be on the throne regardless. God is in the place of God. And he is a gr he's great at being a great judge. He is neither slow in taking care of evil. In fact, he hates evil and injustice. And he will get vengeance one day, according to 2 Peter 3 and Romans 12, 19. But God longs for all people to be forgiven and to be at peace with him. So he is patient. He is patient. Jesus ultimately helps us to understand that forgiveness really matters to God. You know, sometimes we skip over statements by Jesus as if they were not the most important statements in the world, the most important things ever said. I'm guilty of this for sure. I do this all the time. In fact, we teach kids that when they fight at Bible study, that they are for, to forgive one another. But don't let somebody cut me off in traffic. Or don't let somebody cut me off in mid-sentence. It's a pet peeve of mine. Something, something's got to happen. Something's got to be rectified. We about to have confrontation. And sometimes that confrontation can linger and linger and linger and unforgiveness. Mm. What does Jesus say? 
For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Matthew 6, 14 through 15. You mean I really have to forgive? You don't know what's going on. You didn't see the situation. God wants us to start here with our yes on the table. Just like you have been forgiven, God wants to forgive. Will you allow God to be the judge in your situation? Come off that throne, my friends, and see what kind of judge awaits you. Come off that throne, my friends, and see what kind of judge awaits your friend that you're holding hostage. The second lesson is even better. When forgiveness is abundant, the blessing of peace is sown, and many are saved by it. Verse 20 says, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So verse 21, so do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. You see, Forgiveness of others is a key piece of your discipleship journey. If you trust God, you will be able to forgive others. Joseph was able to forgive his brothers because of his absolute confidence in the power and goodness and wisdom of God. Notice Joseph wasn't naive about the wrongs done to him. He wasn't okay with evil. He basically said, yeah, you right. You right. You was plotting evil. You meant that for evil, friend. But he was trusting in God the whole time. And for that, he knew that he, knew that he could let God sort out the sins against him. He could now do as God does with us and not count their sins against him anymore. He could truly forgive their repentance Repentance being key here. As Joseph could not have forgiven if they weren't really repentant, if they didn't turn away from their evil against him. You might have meant evil for me, oh man, but God flipped it for good. Do you know what was at stake here, friends? Do you know? From Jacob's seed with the 12 tribes of Israel, from which Jesus came. From Jacob's seed were the 12 tribes from which Jesus came. If they are going to walk in unreconciled hurt and pain and they never reconcile, how are they going to be a unified nation 
in which God was going to use to be a lighthouse to the world. Yeah, there was family strife. There's a lot of it. But if Joseph doesn't choose to forgive, maybe the promise from Abraham doesn't happen. Maybe it doesn't come true. But God is a promise-keeping God. He wasn't about to let the evil plans of man stop his plans. So God sustained and resourced every step of the way while man was actively trying to mess it up. This makes clearing up relationships according to our CCC relational values, number four, an even bigger deal than we even think, huh? Maybe somebody in here needs to go to work with somebody else because maybe the flow of God is being quenched through your unforgiveness. The Bible says a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace, James 3.18. The Bible says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God, Matthew 5.9. What's at stake is the gospel. What at stake is our discipleship. Some might be stifled in their faith because they choose not to forgive. Some in here might be stifled in their faith because they're choosing right now to not forgive. On a more positive note, though, there was so much buttery goodness coming out of Joseph's life, y'all. It was just like oozing out of Joseph's life because he was a forgiving man in the Lord. Look at verse 21. The people who did evil were now being provided for and their kids and their kids' kids, too, you would see if you continue reading it through the rest of the chapter. And they were being comforted by him. And they were being spoken kindly to by him. Not like they were in his debt, but like he truly loved them and wanted the best for them. Isn't that crazy? I don't know how he had the power to do that. But God. So in peace, my friends. So in God, you will reap the harvest of righteousness. So what's next for us? This won't be any small task to believe or to walk out. It's hard to believe that your story is going to end well. I already know how Satan works. He likes to throw in those but statements. He's probably doing that right now. But I can't forgive because of X, Y, Z. I can't forgive because of this thing. I can't forgive because of what they did to me. But let me throw in one more but statement that trumps the but that Satan is throwing in there. You can't but God. You can't but God. I'm friends with so many of you. And many of you are dreading 
this holiday season. Relationships in the church are jacked up. Relationships with your friends is messed up. Relationships with your family is jacked up. Relationships with your kinfolk. You know how some people have like aunties and uncles, but they ain't really aunties and uncles, but they is auntie and uncles. They messed up. Relationships with your spouse might be jacked up today. The only thing you got is a healthy relationship with God, at least some of the time anyway. You want to know the best news is, though? Thanks, brother. The best news is that's all you need to keep a heart ready for a harvest of righteousness. God was with Joseph was the refrain of Joseph's story. Something would keep on happening, but God was with Joseph. Things would be done to him, but God was with Joseph. Injustice would happen to Joseph, but God was with him. And by the end of his story, God was with him in a way that gave him power to forgive. If you were a disciple of Jesus, that but God status is your story today. But God saved you by the grace of God. When you were at your lowest, God was there. When you jacked things up in your own life, God was there. God has been the single most important constant in your life. God is with you. But God helped you to recognize the truth that Jesus is the greater Joseph, an even clearer picture of what it means to forgive and bring peace. At the cross, we see God giving peace to all mankind who deserve death for the evil we caused. The one who walked faithfully with the Father was betrayed by his own brothers was sinless, spotless, and only, and only brought blessing to people around him. He was killed, but he was resurrected by the same peacemaking Holy Spirit that is at work in the world today to remind everyone of what Jesus spoke. And through your repentance at his announcement, he has become your Savior, and now you walk and imitate his walk. In fact, but God put his Holy Spirit in you, and the gates of hell shall not prevail, which God means, which means that God himself is in you. Do you believe that, church? God is with you, Morgan Curry. God is with you, Reed. God is with you, Lindsay Beasley. Justin Jefferson, I know God's with you, my friend. So do not give up. You will reap a harvest in due season if you do not give up. And last but God is that God is giving you the ministry of reconciliation. 
to the power of God and the gospel that can turn a friend, a foe to friend, in a second is given to you. That is the beauty of our God. We need to allow God to have his way. And some of you might be quenching the spirit with an improper heart attitude towards the reconciling ministry that God gave you. Paul says we have been given the ministry of reconciliation in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 16 through 21. Are you ready for that ministry? No, there's no guarantee that everything will be as you want it in the end. Or even finish like Joseph's story, which to you might sound like a fairy tale ending. But is your heart ready, no matter what, to receive God's sovereign plan and be a peacemaker like Jesus was, like Joseph was? Doesn't your soul want peace this holiday? If you continue in Genesis chapter 15, Joseph got to see his homeboy Ephraim's kids, kids, kids in verse, in verse 23. That's a blessing of peace. And he got to provide for him. That's a blessing of peace. And he got to leave the earth sowing peace, going into everlasting peace. Even though he never touched down in the promised land during his time. You have to read in Exodus and Joshua to see the bones of Joseph traveling around with the promised people into the promised land centuries, centuries later. You can have peace, my friends, even though the work is not finished in your lifetime because of Jesus. You can have peace even though the work is not finished in your lifetime because of Jesus. There's so much more I could, I could say with this story, but my time is running out. I do want to say this, though. If today I know that this is mainly about what happened to Joseph, we are also culpable, too. We sin as well. If you're feeling more like I'm in the place of the brothers and less in the place of Joseph, and you're wanting to offer a pleasing gift to the Lord today, but you're realizing that your brother or sister has reason to have beef with you. Here is a couple of verses out of Matthew 5 that will help you think about what you should do before we close. Matthew 5, 23 to 24 says, So if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, Leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. It matters, y'all, that we strive for peace. Joseph strived for and experienced great peace 
but his story was pointing to Jesus, the one who is, who was and is and is to come, ushering great peace for us, for you and I and for the whole world. He is our hope and he is our peace. Jesus, the Messiah, the Christ, the baby we celebrate every Christmas brings peace to the world. Amen? Amen. Friends, won't you believe and become a peacemaker this season and possibly repent of anything that would hinder you from experiencing the true peace you so desire? I long for this church. Do you long for this? Do you long for this? There's so much hurt in this room. So many things have happened this year. I know it's hard. But this Advent season, I pray that you forgive. I pray that you reconcile with your brother and sister. I pray you let go of whatever that is, not naively, not saying okay with evil, but trusting God and his sovereign plan. Because one day, he will set everything right. One day, he will vindicate your struggle. He's going to take care of you. You do what so many Christians throughout the faith for centuries and generations did and forgive and love your enemies. Let's pray. Father, Lord, this is such a huge discipleship moment. Lord, I really do pray that if there is anybody in here right now who is really struggling to love their brother or sister, in Christ, I pray that they would reconcile soon. I pray that they would hear your call to be reconciled and they would respond by doing so, seeking out, going and making contact, initiating. Lord, I also pray that your powerful spirit would come over our lives and continue to help us meditate on what it means to be a peacemaker in our times. Lord, we need your gospel to sit in our hearts and to transform us and renew us. Lord, put Jesus on the forefront of our minds this, this week and the fact that he forgave us of our sins. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.